Amen. Come on, can we give Jesus praise? Father, we thank you for that powerful truth that you brought us back. You bought us back while we were slaved. That God, never once have you left us and never once will you leave us. And the God, that we can trust in that because the promise is rooted in one who is forever faithful, one for whoever, who is forever true. And God, I pray above all else tonight, God, that we would come to a better understanding of the power of your grace and your love and your mercy towards man. Walk with us. Help us tonight, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the worship team a round of applause this evening. There was, uh, we had a, uh, a, a songwriting session because we want to start putting together some songs that are original to uh, Brooklyn Teen Challenge and um, start doing some worship. And Evan came in and, and went to a songwriting session and had a whole song written. And so we were like, well, let's just do that. <laughs> that song is awesome. So uh, if you didn't know, that song was written by our very own Evan Shorey. <laughs> Made even better by the mustard sweater. That was almost like a spoken word right there. That's about all I got, just two lines. And, uh, but we look forward to what God is doing and how God is going to continue to use uh, the giftings of those who are in this place. It's one thing that we've been in you know, discussion about and prayer about is how God can, God wants to and will continue to use the giftings of those who he brings to this place. Because uh, I know that Pastor Paul and our leadership believe in uh, the truth of the word, that it's not just a couple who are called and a couple who do everything, but it's that we are all gifted and we all have talents, we all have abilities, and that God wants to use each and every one of us to glorify his name. And it looks different through different people, but it's all uh, for the same purpose. And so we're, uh, we're grateful and excited about what uh, God is going to do in that way. And so we challenge, you know, not just necessarily challenge, just encourage, uh, you know, while you're here, discover what God has for you, who he's made you to be, and, uh, and put your heart to it uh, and see what God will do. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to jump right in. Mark chapter 3. If you have your Bible, if not, we will have it on the screen here behind me. And, uh, and I got to admit that uh, when I found out earlier that, uh, that I was going to need to uh, come out of the bullpen and speak, it was difficult today to, uh, to really connect with what God wanted to say. And I actually worked through almost an entire message uh, until early this afternoon, and it just wasn't right and had to start all over again and say, God... You know, what, what is it that you want to say? And um, um, because there's so much noise that goes on around us, not just the fact because we live in New York City, the city is noisy, but our Christian culture is noisy with all kinds of words, all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of teachings that don't always bring forth the power and the majesty and the goodness of God. And we don't ever want to take for granted in this place where each person comes into and, and that you know 
the truth of what scripture shares. Because the reality of the matter is, is we can have followed God for a long time and still be confused about what scripture actually teaches. And so in the process of trying to figure out what, um, you know, God wanted me to share tonight, I was turned inward to my own, con- my own condition and the, the deepest waters of my own soul. And I was confronted with all of the things in some of the deepest places that I have not yet entrusted to God. And when there's those places in our hearts that we have not yet entrusted, we aren't quite sure. God, is it okay to let you into this space? There's a corresponding doubt that comes in that causes us to fear and to to wonder about what God will do if we let him into that space. And my heart is drawn outward because I, I think about and I consider each and every person sitting in these seats and the things that I've heard as you pursue God and the things that I've seen with my eyes as people in this room sit behind locked doors as Jesus is knocking, afraid to let him in. I just want you to know I'm with you. Sometimes in our life, there are, are, are things that Jesus puts his finger on that are difficult. They're scary. They're frustrating. They're painful. But I want you to know tonight that the process is worth it. And I want to encourage you tonight not to give up. And I want you to know tonight that you can trust in Jesus. Because what he has for you is good and it is only good. Two questions that I want to try to help answer tonight. Can I trust Jesus and am I worthy of his love? And I want to use this passage tonight that you might not be expecting to say yes. And I want you to know tonight that whatever it is, if you will bring it to Jesus, he promises to defeat it. Whatever you bring to Jesus, he promises to defeat it. There is nothing outside of his understanding. There is nothing outside of his grace. There is nothing outside of his love. There is nothing outside of his mercy. There is nothing outside of his goodness. And there is nothing outside of his promise to seek and to restore those who will come to him. God's one heart and his one desire always in every situation is to reconcile us to himself. But sometimes we can read things in scripture that cause us fear. We can hear teachings that aren't true. And we can take things out of context and we can try to apply them to our lives and we can use them as reasons or justifications as, 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 as to not allow Jesus into certain spaces in our life because ultimately what we want to say is what's the point? What good is it anyway because I'm too far gone? What good is it anyway because I've done too much? What good is it anyway because God doesn't understand? Nobody understands. I'm not going to be accepted. I'm not going to be loved. I'm not good enough. I can't measure up. But I want you to tell you tonight that it doesn't matter whether you measure up because God's measure is not you. God's measure is Jesus Christ. And if you're in him, that's all that God sees. And that's all that God knows. And so we put the measurement down and we focus our eyes on Christ. I want you to know that he will always, always, always be enough. Always. But to silence some fears, I want to ask uh, three questions. We're going to read Mark chapter 3, 
verses 22 through 35. And we're going to look at what this passage says, what it means for us, and how do we respond to it. Mark chapter 3, verse 20 through 35. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, and they said, He is out of his mind. Oh, man. The teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out, driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him, and he began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and my mother. So let's look at this scene just for a few seconds because it's quite comical when you look at it because Jesus, the very essence, person, image of God has stepped into the world and his own family thinks he's out of his mind. So you're in good company after you go to Teen Challenge and you learn some scripture and you start going to church and you start praying and you go home and people start thinking, man, this guy is out of his mind. He's joined a cult. What's wrong with this guy? We sent him to get help from drugs and he comes back with all this Jesus stuff. You can praise God because you're in the company of Jesus. But Jesus steps onto the scene and he starts declaring the kingdom of God. And the way that he starts declaring the kingdom of God is he starts doing the works of the kingdom of God. And he starts performing miracles. He starts healing and he starts delivering. He starts casting out demons. And he's keeping such a ministry schedule. And it doesn't seem like it's healthy. And he's out picking disciples and out all night praying. And he's up on a mountain and his family's thinking, man, what's going on with Jesus? And he enters the house and he starts teaching. And the religious leaders start catching wind of what's going on because they don't have the power to do the things that Jesus is doing. And they're like, man, we got to go check out this Jesus. And so they walk in and they start claiming Jesus, man, he must have a demon. He must be empowered by demons to cast out demons because we know that, you know, that, that this man cannot possibly be doing these things. And so they come against him. And these individuals were entrusted with the responsibility of communicating God's kingdom. And so when Jesus began bringing God's kingdom and they weren't getting it, they weren't seeing it, they began to grumble and they began to, be, to complain. And they believed that Jesus' work to be the work of Satan. And not only were they believing that the works of Jesus were the works of Satan, but they were leading other people away from Jesus by what they were declaring. And ultimately they were coming against the kingdom of God. God was doing a new thing in the earth. 
That which was the system by which man communed with God was passing away and the new was coming in and Jesus was establishing it here on earth. And rather than catching it and seeing it and being glad and rejoicing in the fact that God's spirit was moving, they hardened their hearts. They opposed Jesus. They opposed kingdom, his kingdom, and they began to try to get rid of him. And they practiced one of the first forms of oppression and they labeled Jesus. And any time a spirit of oppression comes on a people, the first thing that they do is they label another person or a group of people as something that is other than human because that gives them the ability to do with them what it is that they want. And it's happened all throughout history. In every form of, of, of slavery or oppression you've ever, we've, the world has ever seen, it started with an identification that they were not who they really were. They were animals. They were some kind of different spirit. They were some kind of demons because once the commu- that is communicated and that is where we go and what we convince ourselves in our heart, then it doesn't matter how we treat them. It doesn't matter what we say to them. It doesn't matter how we try to destroy them because we feel justified in our actions. And so they begin to oppose Jesus. And Jesus, you know, I don't know about you guys, but if somebody came up in my house and started calling me Satan, I might have, you know, some specific words to say to somebody like that. I might get a little upset. But Jesus responds to them in a way that only Jesus can. And he exposes their logic. He's like, well, wait a second, wait a second. Let's just let's get this straight here. I come here casting out demons, doing the works of God, and you say that I have a demon. That's right? Yes, that's right, Jesus. You have a demon. Okay, let's think about this for just a second. So you're telling me that Satan has literally come into the earth with a job to do to try to tear down the kingdom of God. And instead of giving himself to doing that job, he's casting out the ones that he's employed to doing that job. Is that what what you're trying to tell me? Yes, Jesus, you are filled with Satan and you're casting out demons. So he says, why in the world would Satan come to cast out the ones that he's given the job to tear down the kingdom of God? If a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. And what in the world would I need to come if Satan was already doing the work for me? If he's delivering out himself and delivering out his agents, his end has already come. What's the point of the kingdom of God then? What's the point of of, of a necessity for sin to be defeated? What's the point Jesus exposes their logic. Strong man, he says, must be bound in his house, plundered. And that's what I've been doing. A man has come, one has come, that has bound, literally bound the earth, bound in unbelief, bound in sin, bound in destruction, bound in a spirit against the kingdom of God. And I have come setting people free because the only way to defeat the strong man is for one stronger to come and to bind him. And that's the testimony that even just verses before John the Baptist gave about Jesus, that here comes one that is stronger than I. Because it wasn't just a matter of declaration. It wasn't just a matter of speaking. It wasn't just a matter of righteousness. It wasn't just a matter of how, 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 how powerful an individual it could be. It was the matter of the one who was stronger to come and to set people free. And Jesus said, this is what I came doing and you're upset about this? And their hearts were exposed. He exposed their logic. They exposed their heart because they were rejecting the kingdom of God. And it was their continual vocalization against the Holy Spirit that became the evidence 
The imperfect tense of the word they were saying meant that it was a conditional experience of the heart. A conditional matter of the heart that they were coming against Jesus, declaring his works to be that of an unclean spirit, coming against the ways of God. And God's kingdom had come and they were rejecting it by calling it the work of the enemy. They never denied the works of Jesus. They just attributed it to the wrong spirit. They rejected them as a proof of Jesus' identity. And in doing so, they were only further enslaving themselves to the law that they were already bound by that leads to death. It was not sin. When it says, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal, or they are guilty of an eternal sin. It was not sin that was unforgivable. It was not denial of Jesus that was unforgivable. It was not questioning the validity of God's word that was unbelievable. It was not being mad at God that was unbelievable. It was not being his own family and questioning the person of Jesus, person of Jesus himself that was un- unforgivable. It was not doing drugs that was unforgivable. It was not sleeping around that was unforgivable. It wasn't coming into Teen Challenge 27 times that was unforgivable. It was the process of opposing the kingdom of God because it was an attack on the very nature of the Holy Spirit. And the problem was that if their hearts, if a heart is in full denial of the work of the spirit through Jesus to establish God's kingdom, then what else can be done? If we are in need of a life-saving surgery, but we're absolutely convinced that the surgeon is some uh, sadistic murderer, we're never going to consent to the surgery. We're never going to let him in to the heart that needs to be saved. And the emphasis in this passage of scripture is not on the fact that there's an invisible line where the grace of God runs out and there's no forgiveness left. The emphasis is on the fact that there is a line in each of our hearts where repentance is no longer an option. Because we've chosen to make it so. It says that never has forgiveness, meaning that sins have never been brought under the blood of Jesus. If we reject the work of the Holy Spirit, then we reject the power through which we are saved. So I've heard many come to the point, and we, we ask these questions, and we stand before God, and we think, have I gone too far? Has my battle of sin been too much? Everyone around me, else around me seems to be getting it, but I'm not. God, is there something wrong with me? God, I have doubts. God, I have fears. God, I have worries. You can't be happy with me. You can't love me. You can't want me. And we begin to tell ourselves and replay the story over and over and over. And we talk ourselves into it being true. And we read a passage of scripture that seems to possibly line up with what it is that we want to believe. And all the time, Jesus is standing there with his arms wide open, waiting for us to be quiet. If you'll just stop talking for a second, then I'll reveal the truth to you and the truth will set you free. If you'll just allow me to speak just for a moment into the depths of your soul, I will will reveal to you the, the power of my love and my grace and my mercy. You see, the text says nothing about God having this imaginary line drawn that we are in danger of crossing. The emphasis is on the heart of man, like I said earlier, not on the measure of God because the measurement is Christ. And if God were to go against his own measurement, then even God would be declaring that the sacrifice of Christ was not enough. 
But God declared that the sacrifice of Christ was enough to cover all of our sins. And that's why it says in verse 28, people can be forgiven all their sins and every blasphemy thing they utter. When it says all, it means all. Anything that I bring to God, he is willing to defeat. But the trick is I have to be willing to bring it to God. I have to be willing to surrender it. I have to allow God into the deepest parts of my soul and allow him in and have access to all of the things that I'm holding from him because I am afraid. And many who are in this room go into that process and it's easy for us to hand over the drugs. It's easy for us to hand over the outward things because it's completely apparent that those are the things that we're struggling with. Everybody already knows. But when it comes to the deeper issues of the heart, when it comes to the things that we've held on so dearly to, when it comes to the things on the inside that we only we know about, that we would be completely humiliated. And if anybody else found out about, Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and we have the choice to say, yes, God, I will let you in, bring healing, or no, no further. But I want you to know tonight that God loves you, and you are worth it. You are worth it. And it gets difficult the closer we get to Jesus, the more that gets revealed, the more our heart is exposed, the more painful it gets. But God provides the power. God provides the grace. God provides his Holy Spirit to walk with us so that we don't give up, so that we can make it to the end. This is what it means when he says he's faithful to complete the work that he started because he's not willing to stop. There is no defined place where God says, I am done with you. There is only a place where the human heart decides, God, I'm done with you. And if we get to the place that we no longer allow God access to the things that hold us bound, that's the danger that we fall into. That's the danger where we would get to the place where we no longer trust in God, no longer believe in God. We no longer allow him access into our hearts to bring the, the healing that he so desperately wants to bring. And the book of Hosea is in a perfect example. God does not view us as an unfaithful spouse that he is ready to leave to go find another one. God views us as an unfaithful spouse that he would do anything to purify of their unfaithfulness. Scripture says that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he is eternally faithful and nothing can change that. Why? Because it's not rooted in who we are, but in who he is. Jesus is here to destroy the work of the enemy. The enemy is trying to keep us away from God. God is not trying to keep us away from himself. He gave his life that we would be free, not eternally bound. And what it means for us is that we can trust Jesus. The work that he does is for our benefit, not for our destruction. And sometimes, like I said, we'll go through pain and our minds will automatically go to destruction because we're inherently built to try to avoid pain. But Jesus, if we'll let him, will meet us in the midst of the pain. And he will help us endure the pain because he will carry most of it. I'm convinced that God will never fully relieve us completely of all pain. Because sometimes it's the pain that keeps us accountable. 
to the grace and the love and the mercy of God. I know my heart. When I feel like I've gotten over, I take advantage of that person who I feel like I've gotten over on. Come on, I'm not the only one. If I feel like I've gotten over on somebody, then I take full advantage of that position. And God loves me enough to allow just enough into my life that I don't have that opportunity. He allows just enough into my life to keep me moving forward, to keep me dependent upon him. He allows just enough in my life that the pain is actually the thing that keeps me connected to him as opposed to the thing that drives me away. Guys, we are saved by Christ's faithfulness and not our own. That's one of the most powerful truths of scripture that we can ever put our lives in, that we are saved by the faithfulness of Jesus. And we talked about it in our staff Bible study on Wednesday. He is eternally sinless. And that's the good news for us. That it's Jesus that has become sinless for us. That we could follow him and that he could receive on himself our sin. If he was sinful and he received on himself our sin, then he would have been broken and crushed. But being sinless was able to receive our sin and withstand the the wrath of God that was poured out upon him. So now that we receive the righteousness and we become the righteousness, he gives us something that we had no part in on our own. And we respond to God with repentance. So we have to examine our hearts and fight the callousness because this is an eternal reality. And we have to guard against the things that harden our hearts. And if in any point I get to the place and I get into a season where I no longer desire God, I no longer want God, and my mind has begun to draw me to different places, the first thing that I need to train myself to do is to fall on my knees and say, God, expose whatever it is in my heart that is causing this callousness. Because I know that God allows us to go through seasons where everything seems good and everything seems right and everything seems well and we're on the top top of the mountain it seems like we're never going to sin again and then all of a sudden feelings start to fade because God has now dug through a good portion of the ground and he's got to something that's buried deeper. And now that he's gotten to something buried deeper that's a little harder to deal with and it causes a little more, more, bit more pain to dig out because I don't know if you've ever dug out a tree with really deep roots. Man, when you get down to the bottom of that thing, you feel like you want to take your own life. And he's dug through and we're feeling good. We've got through the soft soil. And then we get down to some of that, that heavier, more dense stuff, the rocky soil, the, the clay and all that stuff that this thing is buried in. And I start to feel that, man, I'm not sure if God is for me. Man, I'm not sure how much I love God anymore. Man, I'm not sure if this is going very well for me. And it's not that God has changed. It's that something deeper has most likely been exposed in my heart that I'm being resistant to. Because that's how sin separates If I'll come before God and I'll say, God, I know that I'm at another crossroads. God, I know that I'm at another place and I'm giving it to you. God, would you keep going deeper? Keep going deeper. That God will do the work and he will break through and you'll make it through that season and you'll keep going forward and on from one season to the next season. But the key is that we have to commit to, and I'll keep saying it over and over, commit to the process. 
Don't fight the spirit because he's the one doing the work. And the essence of the problem with these individuals that came against Jesus was that they were fighting the spirit, the one that would convict of sin and the one that would lead to the repentance. They were fighting against him to the point that the very spirit that was going to lead them to Jesus, they was no longer able to do that. Don't do it alone. Because I said two weeks ago, isolation is an invitation for devastation. When you get in those dark moments and you have, 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 have nobody to lean on, nobody to walk with, walk with you through it, nobody who's been there to say, man, I've, I, I know what you're experiencing, but don't quit, don't give up, keep moving forward. I'm with you. And most importantly, we have to focus on what this passage actually wants us to focus on, that God is for us and that the Spirit has been provided to heal us. The focus of the passage is not on that we all need to be afraid of what we might do to, to, to blaspheme the Spirit and lose our salvation. The focus of the passage is that there has been a Spirit that has been provided that will lead us to life. And that, as I said from the beginning, if I will bring it to God, he promises that he will defeat it. But the problem comes when I choose not to bring it to him. And if I stand into opposition of the work that God wants to do in my life, and it's a continual decision that, I'm, that, 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 I, that, this is, that this is not for me, and I deny repentance into my life, and if I deny that heart surgeon the opportunity to come in and to do the work that he needs, God will pursue every possession of our soul or everything that possesses our soul. Because he is jealous for us, because he loves us, because he has good plans for us, and that anything that is left untouched only stands in the way of him being able to fulfill the plans that he has for us. So the question is, is will you allow him to do the work? It's not about how good you're going to be because you're never going to be good enough. And it's not about how many sins you commit because your sins are never going to do the trick because Christ has provided the, 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 the sacrifice for those sins. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. That's not our issue anymore. Our issue is willingness. Our issue is trust. Our issue is to, 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 to do the things that help us to remain in love with the one who loved us first. And Evan, I don't know you come play the guitar or whatever you want to do. You guys, this is a continual process. The biggest danger that we see and people come into the program is not being too broken. but it's being too put together. It's having the attitude that says, I'm good. I don't know need Jesus or I've been there, I've done that, I know that, I've heard it, I've done it, I've preached it, I've said it, I've sang it. Because you can even come into a place like Teen Challenge knowing that you need help and stand in opposition to the work that God wants to do because you're too prideful with your former position that you don't let him do the new work that he wants to do in you now. And that's why Justin is such a testimony because he came in here with a need and he, and he gave it to Jesus. He didn't come in with a need and said, I got it. Don't tell me, don't instruct me. 
Don't tell me to wait. Don't tell me to be quiet. Because I'm spiritual. I'm a leader in my church. I got it together. I just need a moment. Brokenness will always be the key. No matter the deepest pit, the highest mountain, brokenness pulls you out of the pit and it sustains you on the mountain. Constantly cultivating a heart that submits itself to Christ. And I'm so thankful. That Jesus does not stop pursuing. And I'm even more grateful that there is absolutely nothing that can be done to pull me away from Jesus. I'm even more grateful because I know how wicked this heart can be, that there's nothing, no sin that I can commit. All sins will be forgiven. All the times where I've stood in opposition to God and said that I don't believe. Where I've stood in opposition to God and said, God, that's not good enough. God, I don't trust you. God, I don't want what you have for me. I want what I want for me. None of those things have the power to pull us away from God. Because the power in Christ Jesus And so I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear what I'm going to do or what I'm going to think because Jesus is greater. The only thing I have to fear is getting to the place where I don't believe that Jesus is greater anymore. And you have to know tonight that allowing the things in our life that to go unchecked, the sins, even the littlest ones, to go unchecked. All they will do is try to drag you away from him. And you might say it's not that big of a deal. You might say, well, I've already put in a lot of work. I've gone through this. I've gone through enough pain. I, I am who I am, and that's just the way that it's going to be. And I can promise with every one of those little things, it's, it's similar to the high places in the Old Testament they refuse to tear down. Every single one of those little things is going to be a hook. Hook in, your, in the bottom of your pants just pulling you back. So my question is tonight, what else does Jesus still need access to? Because I'm just telling you that I'm standing before you with one with a microphone. I'm telling you that there's still things in my heart that Jesus still needs access to. Does it mean that I'm outside of the grace of God? Absolutely not. That means that I'm in the perfect place, the grace of Jesus. And I'm still fighting to try to get to the place to allow Jesus to, 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 to have each and every one of them. Because I know the end result If I don't continually give him access to bring healing, 
and to break through all of these things in my life. Do you know what your heart is capable of? Have you lost sight of that? Has a few months in the program or a few years of serving in the church lulled you to sleep? Jesus is sole purpose in our lives to destroy the work of the enemy and to bring us to himself, and he will allow nothing to stand in the way of that. God, I thank you that your mercy is great. I think that, thank you that your grace is greater than our sin. God, I thank you that there is power, a never-ending supply of power that we can come to to find what we need and even in the darkest hour. God, that there's never a moment that you don't welcome us in. There's never a thought. There's never an action that keeps us from you. God, you're willing to bring us near. You're willing to draw us in. And even when we run, you chase us. and You pursue us. You call our name. And God, I thank you for each and every person in this place. And wherever they're at in this life of following after you, Jesus. God, I pray that the things that are still evident in their life that the accuser wants to come against and to accuse them and to point fingers that God, that, 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 that your blood that speaks a better word would raise its voice above that voice and declare them righteous and declare them good and to glare them your child. And that it would be something that would draw them to you. Where on else on earth can we go where our mistakes draw us to the one who offers forgiveness. God, I ask for your blood to cover each and every one of our sins. That God, you the strong would, would enter in and destroy every work. That when the enemy comes calling, there is nothing in us that belongs to him that he could call to. God, I ask for continual deliverance from the things that have bound us. God, a deliverance from the addictions, a deliverance from the anxieties and the worries and the fears and the depressions. God, for strength and for grace. God, I pray for the families in this place that you would continue to knit them together and continue to restore, to heal wounds from marriages, God, that they would be stronger than ever. God, where the enemy has stepped in and tried to bring division, division, God, that you would knit them together and destroy his works better than they've ever dreamed or thought imaginable. And God, we thank you that you're alive and well at Brooklyn Teen Challenge that this is a refuge, God, that we can always come to, that we can always find you, we can always find help, and we can always find hope.
I thank you, Jesus. I praise you tonight, Jesus, because you are good. Come on, just for a moment, can you speak to Jesus? If there's something you need to offer to him, would you offer it to him tonight? If there's a door in your heart that you've kept closed, would you open it to him tonight and let him in? If you feel like you've been hardened and you're losing passion and you're losing desire, would you tell, him, tell that to him tonight? Would you be willing enough to say, Jesus, I feel like I'm losing it. Would you step in and do a new work? Because God, all your promises are yes and amen. All your promises, Jesus. All your promises. We stand on your faithfulness. We stand on your faithfulness. And God, we declare, we declare, we declare you're for us, Jesus. Yes, you're for us, Jesus. Break every stronghold, Jesus. Oh, break every stronghold, Jesus. Take captive every thought, Jesus. God, sing songs of hope over us, Jesus. Restore the joy, a new joy, God, oh, we've never known. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just for a moment before we close. Just seek him just for a moment before we close. If you're a family, would you join together and pray with one another? If your spouses, would you pray with one another? Come on, if you're sitting next to somebody, would you be bold enough to reach out and put a hand on their shoulder and pray with them tonight? Come on, pray against the works of the enemy. Pray against... The things that may try to keep us from Jesus, the things that might try to harden our hearts towards him. Come on, Jesus is always willing. Jesus is always ready to forgive. It's always possible. It's always available. It's always for you. If you will receive it, oh, will you receive it? The faithfulness of our God. The faithfulness of our God. Oh, will you receive it? Standing together on the promises. Standing together on the promises, promises of our God. A powerful God, 
Faithful God, loving God, it never changes, it never changes. He is not like man that he should lie, that he should change. Oh, Love you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus. Search our hearts and know us, God. Try us in our inward parts. Try us, Lord. Search us, God. And lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us in the way everlasting. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Once you finish praying, would you stand with us tonight? I just want to pray one more blessing over you, and we're going to close up for the evening. We're so thankful for those that have come to join us tonight, the families, the guests. Justin, would you just come up here real quick? Let's also pray for him. Amen. You turn. Just reach a hand out here and let's join our hearts together. Father, we thank you for Justin. God, we thank you for your goodness in his life. God, we thank you that you've restored, you've healed, you've lifted. God, you, word says you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. God, he is walking and standing and is built in and upon your grace right now. And so, God, we pray that your grace would sustain him, Lord, especially in the days of co to come, oh God, when the enemy begins to come and to attack. When, God, the thoughts and the worries and the fears, Lord, come to attack, God, we pray that your grace would stand in opposition. God, that your power would flood into the depths of his soul, would strengthen his spirit, would, 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 would give him strength and faith in the time of need. God, we pray for your protection upon his life. God, we pray for your provision upon his life. God, that he would not step into a season of lack, but God, he would step into a, a season of prosperity, God. Because of what he has done and because of what you've done in him. God, we ask that his testimony would not be these last few months, God, but his testimony would be the coming years. God, as you continue to use him and you continue to build him into the man that you designed him to be. We pray for his job. We pray for his family. God, that you continue to be Lord over every area of his life. God, that every time, every time his heart wonders, God, that you would stand and lead him home like a shepherd that you are. And I just give you thanks for that, God. Well, what an awesome God you are. And God, may his testimony tonight be an encouragement for all of us to keep going, to not give up. To continue to follow you because you are good. And God, once again, I pray for your blessing upon each and every person in here tonight. God, strengthen our feeble hands and our weak legs and our weak minds and our weak hearts. That we may truly know you and rest in you. We give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give God thanks for his goodness.
And